Hey guys, Joe here with the Modern Heathen Man. I want to thank you guys for listening to my podcast and thank you for the time you've taken to hear what I got. Today we're going to begin a session of the Prose Edda. I'm going to try and put it all the way through for you. We're going to start with 1, 2, and 3, and in Fogging, 1 through 10 is the last one that you'll hear. This will make it a lot easier than you going ahead and reading the book where you can listen to it. Again, these books are available in LibriVox for absolutely free, and you can download them and listen at your leisure, but they're also available here on my podcast, so you can go ahead and do that. Also, next week, I believe I'm going to start talking about heathens helping heathens and other heathen businesses that are out there for you to go ahead and attach to. Um, I got some things from some different heathen businesses, so I'm going to go over those, what I thought of them, how I like them, and um, whether or not I'm going to purchase those again, and where you can get them if you seem to be something that you like. Anyway, um, without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and put you on here. I have a few commercials in here, again, for heathen businesses and such, so go ahead and listen to those. Um, if you get a chance, go ahead and visit them. They're great people. Other than that, let's begin the Prozetta, and for the next few days, we'll be going over the Prozetta, so it'll be available for you to listen to at your leisure. Guys, thanks again. Grab yourself a cup, grab yourself a horn, fill it with mead, fill it with um, anything you'd like. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the Prozetta with me. Talk to you later. Hey guys, Joe here from the Modern Heathen Man. How are you guys tonight? I hope I'm meeting you well. Anyway, I wanted to tell you guys, while I'm out traveling, it's not always feasible to carry my whole big altar box with me. So sometimes I like a little something in my pocket. And I found a great place to get that from. That's Odin's Beard Woodworking. Great little place out there. Makes small little pocket altars for you with candles and... um, gods and everything in them, little sayings and such. Wonderful work that this man does. Carves everything by hand. He has a couple things going on here. He has little pocket altars that I'm talking about for $25. He has small D poles of 5 to 6 inches for $40. 7 to 8 inches for $45. 9 to 10 for $50. And 11 to 12 for $60. He has 26 different deities to choose from and more coming every day. Your choices right now are Odin, Thor, Tyr, Loki, Freyr, Balder, Bragi, Hemdal, Njord, Fenrir, Ullr, Vidar, Hermod, Hel, Freya, Ostri, Skadi, Sif, Er, Frigg, Var, Thrud, Idun, Sigun, Ran, and Njord. That's a lot of different gods to choose from. So he can meet anybody's needs. Tell him what you want. You can go ahead and find him at www.odinsbeardwoodworking.com. He also has a Facebook page, and I know he does some stuff live every once in a while that you can actually watch him carve those things. Anyway, give him a good uh, look-see there and see if he has something that you can use. I guarantee his little pocket ultras will come in handy for you. So anyway, thanks, guys. Have a great night. Bye-bye. Introduction to the Prose Edda. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. The Prose Edda by Snorri Sturluson. Translated by Arthur Gilchrist Brodeur, 1888-1971. to 1971. 
translator's introduction the life of snorri sturluson fell in a great but contradictory age when all that was noble and spiritual in men seemed to promise social regeneration and when bloody crimes and sordid ambitions gave this hope the lie not less than the rest of europe scandinavia shared in the bitter conflict between the law of the spirit and the law of the members the north like england and the continent felt the religious fervour of the crusades passed from potential anarchy into union and national consciousness experienced a literary and spiritual revival and suffered the fury of persecution and of fratricidal war no greater error could be committed than to think of the northern lands as cut off by barriers of distance tongue and custom from the heart of the continent and in consequence as countries where men's thoughts and deeds were more unrestrained and uncivilized even as england france and germany acted and reacted upon one another in politics in social growth in art and in literature so all three acted upon scandinavia and felt the reaction of her influence nearly thirty years before snorri's birth the danish kingdom had been the plaything of a german prince henry the lion who set up or pulled down her rulers as he saw fit and during snorri's boyhood one of these rulers valdemar i contributed to henry's political destruction in norway sverir sigurdarson had swept away the old social order and replaced it with one more highly centralized had challenged the power of rome without and that of his own nobles within like henry the second of england and frederick barbarossa after sverri's death an interregnum followed but at last there came to the throne a monarch both powerful and enlightened who extended the reforms of sverir and having brought about unity and power quickened the intellectual life of norway with the fructifying influence of french and english literary models under the patronage of this ruler hakon hakonarsson the great romances notably those of chretien de Troyes, were translated into norse some of them passing over into swedish danish and icelandic somewhat later matthew paris the great scholar and author who represented the culture both of england and of france spent eighteen months in norway though not until after snorri's death iceland itself in part through norway in part directly drew from the life of the continent simunder the learned who had studied in paris founded a school at odi sturla sigvatsson snorri's nephew made a pilgrimage to rome and visited germany and snorri himself shows in the opening pages of his heimskringla or history of the kings of norway the influence of that great romantic cycle the matter of troy snorri sturluson was in the fullest sense a product of his time the son of a turbulent and ambitious chieftain sturla Tordsson, of fam in western iceland he was born to a heritage of strice and avarice the history of the sturlung house like that of douglas in scotland is a long and perplexed chronicle of intrigue treachery and assassination in all of which snorri played an active part but even as among the douglases there was one who however deep in treason and intrigue yet loved learning and poetry and was distinguished in each so snorri involved by sordid political chicanery found time not only to compose original verse which was admired by his contemporaries 
but also to record the myths and legends the history and poetry of his race in a prose that is one of the glories of the age the perplexing story of snorri's life told by his nephew sturla tordsen may well be omitted from this brief discussion a careful and scholarly account of it by eriker magnusson will be found in the introduction to the sixth volume of the saga library from snorri's marriage in eleven ninety nine to his assassination at the hands of his son-in-law gizur torvaldsson in twelve forty one there was little in his life which his biographer could relate with satisfaction his friends his relatives his very children snorri sacrificed to his insatiate ambition as chief and as lawman he gave venal decisions and perverted justice he purposed at any cost to become the most powerful man in iceland there is even ground for belief that he deliberately undertook to betray the republic to hakon of norway and that only his lack of courage prevented him from subverting his country's liberty failure brought about his death for snorri who had been a favourite at the norwegian court incurred the king's suspicion after fifteen years had passed with no accomplishment and daring to leave norway against hakon's command he fell under the royal displeasure gizur his murderer proved to have been acting at the express order of the king eriker magnusson in the admirable biography to which i have referred attempts to apologize for snorri's faults on the ground that he really compares very favourably with the leading contemporary godar or chieftains of the land it is true that he made no overt attempt to keep his treacherable promise to norway but i think it is by no means certain that repentance stayed his hand indeed familiar as he was with the hopelessly anarchical conditions of his native land its devastating feuds its plethora of lawless unscrupulous chiefs all striving for wealth and influence none inspired with a genuine affection for the commonwealth nor understanding the fundamental principles of democracy snorri may well have felt that it were far better to endure a foreign ruler who could compel union and peace if this was the motive underlying his self-abasement at the norwegian court and his promises to hakon then weakness alone is sufficient to account for his failure if he had no such purpose he must be regarded as both weak and treacherous it is with relief that we turn to snorri's works to find in them at least traces of genuine nobility of spirit the unscrupulous politician kept sound and pure some corner of his heart in which to enshrine his love for his people's glorious past for the myths of their ancient gods half grotesque and half sublime for the christ-like boulder for promethean odin and tyr sacrificing eye and hand to save the race for the tears of freya the tragic sorrows of gudrun the pitiful end of svanhildr the magnificent all devastating fire of ragnarok his interest in these wondrous things like scott's love for the heroes beliefs and customs of the scottish folk was i think primarily antiquarian indefatigable in research with an artist's eye for the picturesque a poet's feeling for the dramatic and the human he created the most vivid vital histories that have yet been penned accurate beyond the manner of his age gifted with genius for expression divining the human personalities the comic or tragic interplay of ambitions passions and destinies behind the mere chronicled events 
he had almost ideal qualities as an historian poet he was too though the codified rules the cryptic phrase and conventional expression which indeed bound together the words of the singers of ancient scandinavia must spoil his verse for us yet it is well to remember that in his own lifetime not his natural prose but his artificial poetry was famous throughout the north snorri's greatest work is undoubtedly the heimskringla beginning with a rationalized account of the founding of northern civilization by the ancient gods he proceeds through heroic legend to the historical period and follows the careers of his heroes on the throne in eastern courts and camps or on forays in distant lands from the earliest times to the reign of sverrir who came to the throne in eleven eighty four five years after the author's birth the materials at snorri's disposal says magnusson were oral tradition written genealogical records old songs or narrative lays such as tildos tale of the inglings and avin's haloga tale poems of court poets that is historic songs which people knew by heart all from the days of herfer down to snorri's own time and most store he says we set by that which is said in such songs as were sung before the chiefs themselves or the sons of them and we hold all that true which is found in these songs concerning their wayfarings and their battles of the written prose sources he drew upon he only mentions ari the learned's book probably as it seems to us because in the statements of that work he had as implicit a faith as in the other sources he mentions and found reason to alter nothing therein while the sources he does not mention he silently criticizes throughout rejecting or altering them according as his critical faculty dictated before snorri's time there existed only separate disjointed biographical monographs on norwegian kings written on the model of the family sagas of iceland snorri's was a more ambitious task discerning that the course of life is determined by cause and effect and that in the lives of kings widely ramified interests national and dynastic came into play he conceived a new idea of saga writing the seed of cause sown in the preceding must yield its crop of effect in the succeeding reign this the writer of lives of kings must bear in mind and so snorri addresses himself to writing the first pragmatic history ever penned in any teutonic vernacular the heimskringla the evidence for snorri's authorship of heimskringla is not conclusive but figfusson's demonstration is accepted by most scholars we may safely assume apart from the general tendency of the external evidence that one and the same author must have written the histories and the prose edda a comparison of the names of skalds and skaldic poems mentioned in both works will show that the author of each had a wide acquaintance with the conventional poetic literature of scandinavia particularly of iceland and that if we suppose two distinct authors both men had almost precisely the same poetic equipment each of the works under consideration begins with a rationalization of the odinic myths and reveals an identity of attitude toward the ancient faith furthermore the careful reader will be charmed with the sinewy style of both the heimskringla and the edda and will be obliged to admit the close similarity between them in structure and in expression finally vigfusson has shown that they exhibit occasionally a remarkable identity of phrase 
the prose edda is undoubtedly by snorri it is preserved in three primary manuscripts codex regius early fourteenth century codex wormianus fourteenth century named from ole vorm from whose hands it passed in seventeen o six into the hands of arni magnusson and codex upsaliensis about thirteen hundred perhaps a direct copy of snorri's own text this last manuscript and also the arna magnaean vellum number seven forty eight which preserves a portion of the text testify unmistakably to snorri's authorship the codex even gives in detail the subjects of the three divisions of the book these three divisions but for the evidence of the manuscripts might seem to afford ground for assuming plural authorship the first part the gilfagening or beguiling of gilfi is an epitome of odinic mythology cast in the form of a dialogue between gilfi a legendary swedish king and the triune odin snorri though a christian tells the old pagan tales with obvious relish and often in the enthusiasm of the true antiquary rises to magnificent heights ever and again he fortifies his narrative with citations from the poetic edda the great treasure-house of scandinavian mythological and heroic poetry one passes from gilfagening to skaldskaparmal with very little shock in spite of the great difference in subject and treatment which the author has attempted rather skilfully to modulate through a second dialogue the questioner this time is one egir and replies are made by the god bragi famed for eloquence and the gift of poetic expression this intermediate dialogue called bragaredur or bragi's discourses strikes the keynote of the entire book and really reconciles the first section to the second and third whose dissimilarity to gilfagening had led some scholars to believe that one or the other is not snorri's work the god relates several adventures of the aesir of the same character as those recounted in gilfagening and concludes with a myth concerning the origin of the poetic art from this point on barely maintaining the fiction of the dialogue snorri makes his work a treatise on the conventional vocabulary and phraseology of skaldship for the guidance of young skalds the third section of the edda is the hatatal or enumeration of metres and combines three separate songs of praise one on king hakon a second on skuli bardson the king's father-in-law and most powerful vassal and a third celebrating both each of the hundred and two stanzas of the work belongs to a distinct metric type or subtype and between stanzas snorri has inserted definitions occasionally longer notes or comments we are now in a position to see the purpose and the artistic unity of the prose edda the entire work is a textbook for apprentice poets gilfagening conceived in the true antiquarian spirit supplies the mythological and legendary background which in the christian age that had superseded the vivid old heathen days a young man might not know or might avoid do not lose sight of these splendid tales of the fathers snorri by implication says to the youthful bard but remember always that these old legends are to be used to point a moral or adorn a tale and not to be believed or to be altered without authority of ancient skalds who knew them belief is sin tampering with tradition is a crime against scholarship the second and third sections skalds kaparma and hatatal 
offer the rules of composition and drive them home by means of models drawn in the one case from acknowledged masters of the craft in the other by the example of a complete skaldic trilogy the work of a man who was accepted by his own time as a worthy successor of bragi kormaker and einar a needed transition from the literary to the technical portion of the book is supplied by bragaridur which narrates in the same spirit as gilfagining further useful tales and concludes with a mythological account of the skaldic art even the prologue which many scholars consider spurious is an integral part of the work a fact established by snorri's single address in the character of the author to beginners in this apostrophe he refers to the prologue remember these tales are to be used only as chief skalds have used them and must be revered as ancient tradition but are neither to be believed nor to be tampered with regard them as i have indicated at the beginning of this book the beginning of the book is a summary of the biblical story of the creation and deluge followed by a rationalized account of the rise of the ancient pagan faith according to which the old gods appear not as deities but as men the word edda as applied to the whole work has long furnished scholars with material for disputation the different theories regarding it need not be restated here it is the translator's personal opinion that magnusson's etymology if not established is at least the most satisfactory one likely to be offered magnusson points out that snorri passed the interval between his third and nineteenth years at odi under the fostering of the grandson of simundur the learned the simundur who had studied at paris had founded a school at odi that snorri became the author of a book which was called edda and that this book contains in its first section a prose paraphrase of many of the songs from the elder or poetic edda together with a number of quotations from that work now the poetic edda was ascribed by its earliest recorded possessor bishop brynjolf svensson to simundur and while it is improbable that simundur composed the poem it is highly probable that it once formed part of his library at odi there snorri may have learned to know it and we may assume that he gave the prose edition the name of its poetical original that original the mother manuscript he thinks would naturally have been called the book of or at odi which would be expressed in icelandic either as odabok or as edda following in the latter case accepted linguistic laws snorri's familiarity with the elder or poetic edda is demonstrated by his frequent quotations from voluspa havamal grimnismal vafrudnismal alvinsmal or alvismal and grotansunger he knew lokasena as well but confused three stanzas apparently failing to remember the order in his original one poem that he mentions is lacking in the poetic edda as we know it heimdallr galdr the song or incantation of heimdallr moreover he makes seventeen citations from other poems which although lost to us evidently form portions of the original edic collections or belong to the same traditional stock the disappearance of the manuscript which snorri used is a great loss the first translation of the prose edda was published at copenhagen in sixteen sixty five when the complete text appeared with latin and danish interpretations 
this was entitled edda islandorum ancronicum twelve fifteen islandice conscripta persnoronem sturlae nunc primum islandice danice et latine ex antiquis codicibus in lucem prodit opera p j resengi the standard danish translation is that of r nierup copenhagen eighteen sixty five in seventeen forty six j gurenson printed at upsala the first swedish version with a latin translation gurenson's original was the codex upsaliensis anders upstrom made an independent translation in eighteen fifty nine in seventeen fifty five and fifty six there appeared at copenhagen a work of the greatest importance for the study of scandinavian antiquities in england Malais, monument de la mythologie et de la poésie des celtes et particulièrement de anciens scandinaves this book which comprised the general introduction on the ancient scandinavian civilization a translation of gilfagening and a synopsis of skalska parmal and hatatal was turned into english by bishop percy under the title of northern antiquities percy claimed to know gurenson's text as well as the french northern antiquities was published at london in seventeen seventy and was reprinted at edinburgh in eighteen o nine with additions by sir walter scott the best-known translation and the only complete one which is at all trustworthy is that in latin combined with the icelandic text in the arnamagnean edition copenhagen eighteen forty eight to eighty seven in eighteen forty two g w dasent the translator of njal's saga and a prominent scholar in the scandinavian field printed at stockholm his prose or younger edda which contains a translation of gilfagening and of the narrative passages of skalska parmal a similarly incomplete english version was printed at chicago in eighteen eighty by rasmus b anderson professor anderson also edited a combined translation of both eddas the poetic edda by benjamin thorpe and the prose edda by i a blackwell blackwell's translation which stops with bragaredur had first appeared at london in eighteen forty seven together with an abstract of erbigya saga by scott samuel lang's translation is likewise incomplete a french version of gilfagening la fascination de gulfi was published at strasbourg by f g bergman a second edition appeared in eighteen seventy one so far as i can ascertain the first translation into german was the work of friedrich ruse berlin eighteen twelve this contains a long historical introduction and ends with the story of the Wulsungs in skalska parmal karl zimrock's die jüngere edda published in eighteen fifty one and reprinted in eighteen fifty five although incomplete is more accurate than any earlier translation and is remarkable for its literary excellence the most scholarly rendering into german is by hugo gering leipzig eighteen ninety two but unfortunately includes only the narrative portions of the book until nineteen hundred the best edition of snorri's edda was by torleifer jonsson copenhagen eighteen seventy five this was superseded by finur jonsson's splendid danish edition in nineteen o seven professor jonsson produced an icelandic edition which forms volume forty one of the islandinga zuger published at reykjavik 
it was fortunate for me that these last two editions appeared before i began my work professor jonsson provided me with an excellent text and second in value only to this with an index and an invaluable icelandic prose rephrasing of the skaldic verses i regret exceedingly that the highly technical nature of hatatal forbids translation into english there are to be sure more or less usually less accurate translations into scandinavian and into latin even in the excellent arnamagnaean edition many of the glosses are purely conjectural and any attempt to convey into english a vocabulary which has no equivalent in our language must fail skaldskaparma however is here presented complete for the first time in english to those who have helped me i wish to express my deepest appreciation first of all to professor william henry schofield i owe a debt of gratitude which is more than four years old and has increased beyond computation dr henry goddard leach my first instructor in scandinavian literature gave me my single greatest intellectual stimulus and thereby determined the current of my work dr frederick w leader of harvard university deserves my thanks for his devoted assistance in reading proof a task as dreary as it is essential i am also indebted for valuable suggestions to mr h w rabe of simmons college it is a great satisfaction to acknowledge these debts incurred in the course of a labour which has been my delight for several years i should however do injustice to those who have aided me as well as to myself if i did not assume full responsibility for the faults of the translation whatever these may be i trust that the book may perform some service in bringing before the english reading public a greater portion of snorri's classic treatise than has previously been accessible the reader will perceive the value of the edda if he will compare it for legendary and antiquarian interest with the mabinogion and will also realize that the edda is a masterpiece of style style that no translator can ever reproduce a g b cambridge massachusetts july first nineteen sixteen end of introduction recording by expatriate in bangor maine to the prose edda by snorri sturluson translated by arthur gilchrist brodeur eighteen eighty eight to nineteen seventy one this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine prologue in the beginning god created heaven and earth and all those things which are in them and last of all two of humankind adam and eve from whom the races are descended and their offspring multiplied among themselves and were scattered throughout the earth but as time passed the races of men became unlike in nature some were good and believed on the right but many more turned after the lusts of the world and slighted god's command wherefore god drowned the world in a swelling of the sea and all living things save them alone that were in the ark with noah after noah's flood eight of mankind remained alive who peopled the earth and the races descended from them 
and it was even as before when the earth was full of folk and inhabited of many then all the multitude of mankind began to love greed wealth and worldly honour but neglected the worship of god now accordingly it came to so evil a pass that they would not name god and who then could tell their sons of god's mighty wonders thus it happened that they lost the name of god and throughout the wideness of the world the man was not found who could distinguish in aught the trace of his creator but not the less did god bestow upon them the gifts of the earth wealth and happiness for their enjoyment in the world he increased also their wisdom so that they knew all earthly matters and every phase of whatsoever they might see in the air and on the earth one thing they wondered and pondered over what it might mean that the earth and the beasts and the birds had one nature in some ways and yet were unlike in manner of life in this was their nature one that the earth was cleft into lofty mountain peaks wherein water spurted up and it was not needful to dig longer for water there than in the deep valleys so it is also with beasts and birds it is equally far to the blood in the head and the feet another quality of the earth is that in each year grass and flowers grow upon the earth and in the same year all that growth falls away and withers it is even so with beasts and birds hair and feathers grow and fall away each year this is the third nature of the earth that when it is opened and dug up the grass grows straightway on the soil which is uppermost on the earth boulders and stones they liken to the teeth and bones of living beings thus they recognize that the earth was quick and had life with some manner of nature of its own and they understood that she was wondrous old in years and mighty in kind she nourished all that lived and she took to herself all that died therefore they gave her a name and traced the number of their generations from her the same thing moreover they learned from their aged kinsmen the many hundreds of years have been numbered since the same earth yet was and the same sun and stars of the heavens but the courses of these were unequal some having a longer course and some a shorter from things like these the thought stirred within them that there might be some governor of the stars of heaven one who might order their courses after his will and that he must be very strong and full of might this also they held to be true that if he swayed the chief things of creation he must have been before the stars of heaven and they saw that if he ruled the courses of the heavenly bodies he must also govern the shining of the sun and the dews of the air and the fruits of the earth whatsoever grows upon it and in like manner the winds of the air and the storms of the sea they knew not yet where his kingdom was but this they believed that he ruled all things on earth and in the sky the great stars also of the heaven and the winds of the sea wherefore not only to tell of this fittingly but also that they might fasten it in memory they gave names out of their own minds to all things this belief of theirs has changed in many ways according as the peoples drifted asunder and their tongues became severed one from another but all things they discerned with the wisdom of the earth for the understanding of the spirit was not given to them this they perceived that all things were fashioned of some essence two the world was divided into three parts from the south extending into the west and bordering on the mediterranean sea all this part was called africa the southern quarter of which is hot so that it is parched with the sun the second part from west to north and bordering on the ocean is called europa or enea its northern part is so cold that no grass grows upon it 
and no man dwells there from the north and all down over the eastern part even to the south is called asia in that region of the world is all fairness and pride and the fruits of the earth's increase gold and jewels there also is the centre of the earth and even as the land there is lovelier and better in every way than in other places so also were the sons of men there most favoured with all goodly gifts wisdom and strength of the body beauty and all manner of knowledge three near the earth's centre was made that goodliest of homes and haunts that ever have been which is called troy even that which we call turkland this abode was much more gloriously made than others and fashioned with more skill of craftsmanship in manifold wise both in luxury and in the wealth which was there in abundance there were twelve kingdoms and one high king and many sovereignties belonging to each kingdom in the stronghold were twelve chieftains these chieftains were in every manly part greatly above other men that have ever been in the world one king among them was called munon or mennon and he was wedded to the daughter of the high king priam her who was called troon they had a child named tror whom we call thor he was fostered in thrace by a certain war duke called luricus but when he was ten winters old he took unto him the weapons of his father he was as goodly to look upon when he came among other men as the ivory that is inlaid in oak his hair was fairer than gold when he was twelve winters old he had his full measure of strength then he lifted clear of the earth ten bearskins all at one time and then he slew duke loricus his foster-father and with him his wife laura or glora and took into his own hands the realm of thrace which we call trudheim then he went forth far and wide over the lands and sought out every quarter of the earth overcoming alone all berserks and giants and one dragon greatest of all dragons and many beasts in the northern half of his kingdom he found the prophetess that is called sibyl whom we call sif and wedded her the lineage of sif i cannot tell she was fairest of all women and her hair was like gold their son was loridi who resembled his father his son was einridi his son vingitor his son vingener his son moda his son magi his son seskef his son bedvig his son atra whom we call anar his son iterman his son heremod his son skjaldan whom we call skuld his son biaf whom we call biar his son yat his son gudolfer his son finn his son friallaf whom we call friedleifer his son was he who is named Vodin, whom we call odin he was a man far famed for wisdom and every accomplishment his wife was frigida whom we call frigg four odin had second sight and his wife also and from their foreknowledge he found that his name should be exalted in the northern part of the world and glorified above the fame of all other kings therefore he made ready to journey out of turkland and was accompanied by a great multitude of people young folk and old men and women and they had with them much goods of great price and wherever they went over the lands of the earth many glorious things were spoken of them so that they were held more like gods than men they made no end to their journeying till they were come north into the land that is now called saxland there odin tarried for a long space and took the land into his own hand far and wide in that land odin set up three of his sons for land wardens one was named vegdeg he was a mighty king and ruled over east saxland 
his son was vitgils his sons were vita heingester's father and sigar father of svebdeg whom we call svidegir the second son of odin was beldeg whom we call baldr he had the land which is now called westphalia his son was brandr his son frodigar whom we call frodi his son freovin his son uvig his son gavis whom we call gave odin's third son is named sigi his son reyrir these the forefathers ruled over what is now called frankland and thence is descended the house known as Vulsungs. from all these are sprung many and great houses then odin began his way northward and came into the land which they call reitgotland and in that land he took possession of all that pleased him he set up over the land that son of his called skuldr whose son was Freelifer, and thence descends the house of the skuldungs these are the kings of the danes and what was then called reitgotland is now called jutland five after that he went northward where the land is called sweden the king there was named gilfi when the king learned of the coming of those men of asia who were called aesir he went to meet them and made offer to them that odin should have such power in his realm as he himself wielded and such well-being followed ever upon their footsteps that in whatsoever lands they dwelt were good seasons and peace and all believed that they caused these things for the lords of the land perceived that they were unlike other men whom they had seen both in fairness and also in wisdom the fields and the choice lands in that place seemed fair to odin and he chose for himself the site of a city which is now called sigtun there he established chieftains in the fashion which had prevailed in troy he set up also twelve headmen to be doomsmen over the people and to judge the laws of the land and he ordained also all laws as there had been before in troy and according to the customs of the turks after that he went into the north until he was stopped by the sea which men thought lay around all the lands of the earth and there he set his son over this kingdom which is now called norway this king was semingar the kings of norway traced their lineage from him and so also do the jarls and other mighty men as is said in the Hallegjatal. odin had with him one of his sons called ingvi who was king in sweden after him and those houses come from him that are called inglings the aesir took wives of the land for themselves and some also for their sons and these kindreds became many in number so that throughout saxland and thence all over the region of the north they spread out until their tongue even the speech of the men of asia was the native tongue over all these lands therefore men think that they can perceive from their forefathers names which are written down that those names belong to this tongue and that the aesir brought the tongue hither into the northern region into norway and into sweden into denmark and into saxland but in england there are ancient lists of land names and place names which may show that these names came from another tongue than this end of prologue recording by expatriate in bangor maine Hey guys, this is Joe at Modern Heathen Man. How are you all today? Hoping you're having a good and uh, great day. 
Anyway, I wanted to tell you guys about this YouTube channel that I found called Midgard Musings. It's by a man named Jesse, and it is incredible. He has new videos uploaded on the channel every Sunday night, and he has a live Facebook stream every Sunday at 7 p.m. Um, Central Standard Time. Midgard Musings' goal is to help build heathen communities around the world with educational content and laid-back fun manner. He values the historical aspect of this path and uses it to help us grow and develop as heathens in modern times. So if you've been a heathen for a while or just brand new to it, definitely check it out. It's something worthwhile. If you'd like to support Midgard Musings by subscribing to youtube.com forward slash Midgard Musings, following on Facebook and purchasing merchandise from the Teespring and Redbubble stores. Redbubble, say that three times. All of which can be found on the YouTube channel video description. Midgard Musing also offers handmade driftwood rune sets for sale, and the purchase of these items help support the channel. Just to touch base on that a little bit, I actually own one of those rune sets. They are incredibly nice, good feel, wonderful stuff, good power within them. I'm telling you, worthwhile checking out. So please head on over to Midgard Musings, like and subscribe to the channel, and follow on Facebook and on YouTube at facebook.com slash midgardmusings and youtube.com slash midgardmusings. M-I-D-G-A-R-D-M-U-S-I-N-G-S will find you that Midgard Musings. Thanks, guys, and have a great day. Gilfagening, sections 1 through 10 of the Prose Edda by Snorri Sturluson, translated by Arthur Gilchrist Brodeur, 1888 to 1971. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Gilfagening, sections 1 through 10. Here begins the beguiling of Gilfi. 1 king gilfi ruled the land that men now call sweden it is told of him that he gave to a wandering woman in return for her merry-making a ploughland in his realm as much as four oxen might turn up in a day and a night but this woman was of the kin of the aesir she was named gefjun she took from the north out of jutenheim four oxen which were the sons of a certain giant and herself and set them before the plough and the plough cut so wide and so deep that it loosened up the land and the oxen drew the land out into the sea into the westward and stopped in a certain sound there gefjun set the land and gave it a name calling it zelund and from that time on the spot whence the land had been torn up is water it is now called the luger in sweden and bays lie in that lake even as the headlands in zelund thus says bragi the ancient skald gefjun drew from gilfi gladly the wave troes freehold till from the running beasts sweat reeked to denmark's increase the oxen bore moreover eight eyes gleaming brow lights over the fields wide booty and four heads in their ploughing two king gilfi was a wise man and skilled in magic he was much troubled that the Aesir people were so cunning that all things went according to their will. He pondered whether this might proceed from their own nature, or whether the divine powers which they worshipped might ordain such things. He set out on his way to Asgard, going secretly, and clad himself in the likeness of an old man, with which he dissembled. 
but the aesir were wiser in this matter having second sight and they saw his journeying before ever he came and prepared against him deceptions of the eye when he came into the town he saw there a hall so high that he could not easily make out the top of it its thatching was laid with golden shields after the fashion of a shingled roof so also says childolfer of Vin that valhalla was thatched with shields on their backs they let beam sore battered with stones odin's hall shingles the shrewd seafarers in the hall doorway gylfi saw a man juggling with lances having seven in the air at one time this man asked of him his name he called himself gangleri and said he had come by the paths of the serpent and prayed for lodging for the night asking who owns the hall the other replied that it was their king and i will attend thee to see him then shalt thou thyself ask him concerning his name and the man wheeled about before him into the hall and he went after and straightway the door closed itself on his heels there he saw a great room and much people some with games some drinking and some had weapons and were fighting then he looked about him and thought unbelievable many things which he saw and he said all the gateways ere one goes out should one scan for tis uncertain where sit the unfriendly on the bench before thee he saw three high seats each above the other and three men sat thereon one on each and he asked what might be the name of those lords he who had conducted him in answered that the one who sat on the nethermost high seat was a king and his name is har but the next is called jafnhar and he who is uppermost is called thridi note high equally high and third then har asked the newcomer whether his errand were more than for the meat and drink which were always at his command as for every one there in the hall of the high one he answered that he first desired to learn whether there were any wise men there within har said that he could not escape whole from thence unless he were wiser and stand thou forth who spearest who answers he shall sit three gangleri began his questioning thus who is foremost or oldest of all the gods har answered he is called in our speech allfather but in the elder asgard he had twelve names one is allfather the second is lord or third of hosts the third is nikar or spear lord the fourth is nikudr or striker the fifth is knower of many things the sixth fulfiller of wishes the seventh far-speaking one the eighth the shaker or he that putteth the armies to flight the ninth the burner the tenth the destroyer the eleventh the protector the twelfth gelding then asked gangleri where is this god or what power hath he or what hath he wrought that is a glorious deed har made answer he lives throughout all ages and governs all his realm and directs all things great and small then said jafnhar he fashioned heaven and earth and air and all things which are in them then spoke thridi the greatest of all is this that he made man and gave him the spirit which shall live and never perish though the flesh frame rot to mould or burn to ashes and all men shall live such as are just in action and be with himself in the place called gimle but evil men go to hell and thence down to the misty hell and that is down in the ninth world then said gangleri what did he before heaven and earth were made and har answered he was then with the rime giants four 
Gangleri said, What was the beginning, or how began it, or what was before it? Har answered, As is told in Voluspa, erst was the age when nothing was, nor sand nor sea, nor chilling stream waves. Earth was not found, nor ether heaven, a yawning gap, but grass was none. Then said Jafnhar, It was many ages before the earth was shaped that the mist world was made and midmost within it lies the well that is called vergelmir from which spring the rivers called svul guntra fjorm fimbatul slider and hrid srilger and ilger vid leipter gul is hard by hell gates and thridi said yet first was the world in the southern region which is called muspel it is light and hot that region is glowing and burning and impassable to such as are outlanders and have not their holdings there he who sits there at the land's end to defend the land is called surtur he brandishes a flaming sword and at the end of the world he shall go forth and harry and overcome all the gods and burn all the world with fire thus is said in voluspa surtur fails from the south with switch-eating flame on his sword shimmers the sun of the war-gods the rock crags crash the fiends are reeling heroes tread hellway heaven is cloven five gangleri asked how were things wrought ere the races were and the tribes of men increased then said har the streams called ice waves those which were so long come from the fountain heads that the yeasty venom upon them had hardened like the slag that runs out of the fire these then became ice and when the ice halted and ceased to run then it froze over above but the drizzling rain that rose from the venom congealed to rime and the rime increased frost over frost each over the other even into ginungagap the yawning void then spake jafnhar ginungagap which faced toward the northern quarter became filled with heaviness and masses of ice and rime and from within drizzling rain and gusts but the southern part of the yawning void was lighted by those sparks and glowing masses which flew out of muspelheim and thridi said just as cold arose out of niflheim and all terrible things so also all that looked toward muspelheim became hot and glowing but ginungagap was as mild as windless air and when the breath of heat met the rime so that it melted and dripped life was quickened from the yeast drops by the power of that which sent the heat and became a man's form and that man is called ymir but the rhyme giants call him argomir and thence are come the races of the rhyme giants as it says in voluspa the less all the witches spring from vitolf all the warlocks are of vilharm and the spell singers spring from swarthead all the ogres of ymir come but concerning this says vaftrudnir the giant out of the ice waves issued venom drops waxing until a giant was thence are our kindred come all together so it is they are savage for ever then said gangleri how did the races grow thence or after what fashion was it brought to pass that more men came into being or do ye hold him god of whom ye but now spake and jafnhar answered by no means do we acknowledge him god he was evil in all his kindred we call them rhyme giants now it is said that when he slept a sweat came upon him and there grew under his left hand a man and a woman and one of his feet begat a son with the other and thus the races are come these are the rhyme giants the old rhyme giant him we call ymir 
6. Then said Gangleri, Where dwelt Ymir, or wherein did he find sustenance? Har answered, Straightway after the rime dripped, there sprang from it the cow called Audumla. Four streams of milk ran from her udders, and she nourished Ymir. Then answered Gangleri, Wherewithal was the cow nourished? And Har made answer, She licked the ice blocks, which were salty, and the first day that she licked the blocks there came forth from the blocks in the evening a man's hair the second day a man's head the third day the whole man was there he is named buri he was fair of feature great and mighty he begat a son called bor who wedded the woman named besla daughter of butorn the giant and they had three sons one was odin the second vili and the third ve and this is my belief that he odin with his brothers must be ruler of heaven and earth we hold that he must be so called so is that man called whom we know to be mightiest and most worthy of honour and ye do well to let him be so called seven then said gangleri what covenant was between them or which was the stronger and har answered the sons of bor slew ymir the giant lo where he fell there gushed forth so much blood out of his wounds that with it they drowned all the race of the rime giants save that one whom giants called Bergamir, escaped with his household. He went upon his ship, note, literally mill-bench or mortar, end note, and his wife with him, and they were safe there. And from them are come the races of the rhyme giants as is said here. Untold ages ere earth was shapen, then was Bergamir born. That first I recall how the famous wise giant on the deck of the ship was laid down. 8 then said gangleri what was done then by bor's sons if thou believe that they be gods har replied in this matter there is no little to be said they took ymir and bore him into the middle of the yawning void and made of him the earth of his blood the sea and the waters the land was made of his flesh and the crags of his bones gravel and stones they fashioned from his teeth and his grinders and from those bones that were broken and jafnhar said of the blood which ran and welled forth freely out of his wounds they made the sea when they had formed and made firm the earth together and laid the sea in a ring round about her and it may well seem a hard thing to most men to cross over it then said thridi they took his skull also and made of it the heaven and set it up over the earth with four corners and under each corner they set a dwarf the names of these are east west north and south then they took the glowing embers and sparks that burst forth and had been cast out of muspelheim and set them in the midst of the yawning void in the heaven both above and below to illumine heaven and earth they assigned places to all fires to some in heaven some wandered free under the heavens nevertheless to these also they gave a place and shaped them courses it is said in old songs that from these the days were reckoned and the tale of years told as is said in voluspa the sun knew not where she had housing the moon knew not what might he had the stars knew not where stood their places thus was it ere the earth was fashioned then said gangleri these are great tidings which i now hear that is a wondrous great piece of craftsmanship and cunningly made how was the earth contrived and har answered she is ring-shaped without and round about her without lieth the deep sea and along the strand of that sea they gave lands to the graces of giants for habitation 
but on the inner earth they made a citadel round about the world against the hostility of the giants and for their citadel they raised up the brows of ymir the giant and called that place midgard they took also his brain and cast it in the air and made from it the clouds as is here said of ymir's flesh the earth was fashioned and of his sweat the sea crags of his bones trees of his hair and of his skull the sky then of his brows the blithe gods made midgard for sons of men and of his brain the bitter mooded clouds were all created nine then said gangleri much indeed they had accomplished them methinks when earth and heaven were made and the sun and the constellations of heaven were fixed and division was made of days now whence come the men that people the world and har answered when the sons of bor were walking along the sea strand they found two trees and took up the trees and shaped men of them the first gave them spirit and life the second wit and feeling the third form speech hearing and sight it gave them clothing and names the male was called oscar and the female embla and of them was mankind begotten which received a dwelling-place under midgard next they made for themselves in the middle of the world a city which is called asgard men call it troy there dwelt the gods and their kindred and many tidings and tales of it have come to pass both on earth and aloft there is one abode called hlidskjalf and when all father sat in the high seat there he looked out over the whole world and saw every man's acts and knew all things which he saw his wife was called frigg daughter of frugvin and of their blood is come that kindred which we call the races of the aesir that have peopled the elder asgard and those kingdoms which pertain to it and that is a divine race for this reason must he be called all father because he is father of all the gods and of men and of all that was fulfilled of him and of his might the earth was his daughter and his wife on her he begot the first son which is asathor strength and prowess attend him wherewith he overcometh all living things ten nurfi or narfi is the name of a giant that dwelt in jutenheim he had a daughter called night she was swarthy and dark as befitted her race she was given to the man called nagalfari their son was audr afterwards she was wedded to him that was called anar jord was their daughter note jord equals earth End note. last of all dayspring had her and he was of the race of the aesir their son was day he was radiant and fair after his father then all father took night and day her son and gave to them two horses and two chariots and sent them up into the heavens to ride round about the earth every two half days night rides before with the horse named frosty mane and on each morning he bedews the earth with the foam from his bit the horse that day has is called sheen mane and he illumines all the air and the earth from his mane end of gilfagening sections one through ten recording by expatriate in bangor maine